0: welcome to the access church podcast grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon awesome awesome all right you guys can have a quick seat before we get into groups glad that you are here you guys enjoying summer officially started we're hitting yeah we haven't hit the hundreds yet but We're we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, Hey, excited about this morning. Uh, We're going to be, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. Before we jump into that, uh, we are headed down to Tijuana Christian Mission. Uh, We're going to be in Rosarito next Saturday. And so we only have room for about one or two spots. I think we're mostly full. you still want to go, we'll probably, we'll have a staff meeting tomorrow. So I'll probably shut it down tomorrow night. So today, tomorrow, sign up. Otherwise, I got to get an email out. So Looking forward to that. We're visiting, just so you know, we're visiting the little kids, the teenagers. Uh, They are doing their own mission, which is awesome. So, we're going to visit the kids, play games, making cheeseburgers. That's what they wanted. So, uh, we're excited about that, hanging out with them. Just want to encourage you, too, that uh, just a really, really proud of our church as far as just the support that they got when we brought up uh, Sarah and Cindy. Uh, They just felt so blessed by our church, so encouraged. And I know a few of us have already, I think we have uh, four of us now that are supporting. $50 a month, you get to support, um, uh, you know, one of the kids. And what's great is you get to write letters. And then when we go down there, you literally get to see them. And they're stoked. Like the little girl we're sponsoring already can't wait to see us. So it's, it really has become an extended family. So if you haven't done that, you can go on our website, check that out, and literally just uh, make a great impact on lives down there. And so, But they just want to say thank you and appreciate you guys uh, so much. Uh, Also, just a heads up, uh, we are on break for connection groups. We're actually going to start back up in uh, the first week of August. We're going to take a little bit longer break because we're going to have these kind of what we're going to call rally groups. You're going to get an email uh, from me about that. And it's basically just uh, kind of rallying as a church in small groups, having discussions, making sure you guys know where we're going, where we're at spiritually, financially, uh, where we're at as far as just people, what God's doing, that's cool, and make sure there's any questions that I'm hearing from you guys, like, hey, here's questions we have, or what's going on here, or hey, this has been really cool for us. So it's kind of just a, a great time to rally together, being like, okay, we're on the same page, here's what we're where we're going this next year. So just a heads up, that'll be really important, again, if this is your home church, uh, that you want to be a part of that, your voice matters. So if we don't have your email phone number, you've been secretive, and you're like, I'm not filling out those connection cards, You'll never know where I live. You'll never know how many kids I have. I understand. I understand you're a little skeptical, but we need that in order to contact you. So uh, I think the cards are on the tables. If you never filled the one out, fill that out and uh, just leave it in the bucket or on the table so we can uh, shoot you an email. Hey, as, uh, as we're getting settled, I want to remind you also throughout the week, be praying for um, those that are serving at summer camps. We have uh, a lot of leaders that help out with Young Life. Uh, middle school and high school students going to camps, hearing about Jesus for the first time. Uh, I know my son Aiden just came back from a week, and then also the other Aiden uh, came back. Dave, are you going? David's going this this week. Okay, so uh, be praying for David. And then we have um, we have Grace and Bethany uh, who are also gone. So just just be mindful. We've got people leaving their jobs, uh, trying to impact people's lives, things like that. Just be praying for them. So we got a lot of people in our church going out and doing different things. So uh, Luke chapter 6, I'm going to pray, and then uh, really looking forward to uh, jumping in today and see what God has for us. Jesus, um, I'm just appreciative that though we can't completely know you, we can understand, Lord, why you created us, why you love us, and what you're trying to accomplish through us, God, our world desperately desperately needs purpose and hope. People are stressing out over finances, people are stressing out politically, people are stressing out relationally, people are stressing out with emotionally and mentally, all these things, and I think you are truly the answer for everybody. But you got to be the answer for us here at Access First. If we want to reach people, we got to make sure that you reach our hearts first, Lord. So I pray today you reach our hearts. Continue to change us as a church. That when people see us, they see you, Jesus. Praise in your name. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 6. Honestly, we're going to be looking at a passage that most of you skip. Because any time, I don't know if you're like me, any time you start seeing a lot of names of people in the Bible, you're like, why do I need to read this? This is not going to change my life. I can't pronounce these names. Uh, it does nothing for me. So stick with me. Don't check out because some of you are like, uh oh, uh oh, he's actually going to read these names. Uh, there's a reason why we're going to kind of go over today. Um, the, the 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 series through Luke that we're in is actually called, um, you know, God for all, and we see that embodied today. So we need to remember as we're as we're reading Luke. Notice how Luke shows the heart of God. The, Jesus, the, the beauty of Jesus is that he didn't just come to die and to save us. He came to show us. This is truly how to live life, not just here, but forever, which is a good, good purpose, right? Let's live forever, not just have a good 60, 70, 80 years here. Why don't we just do it forever? And God provides that opportunity. Um, but he shows us how to live, and he also shows us the purpose of church. And so we're going to jump in that today as we look at how Jesus interacts with these men or how He chooses these men. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, He called His disciples to Him, and He chose 12 of them, whom He also designated as apostles. He chose Simon, who's named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, we're going to call him Bart, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, we'll get into that. Simon, who was called the Zealot, we'll get into that, why that's important. Judas, son of James, and the ever popular, nobody will ever name their kid this, Judas Iscariot, right? (laughs) Boo, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, a funny story. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But, um, but it's interesting when uh, we read the Bible how perception is really important. There's a, uh, a book I read, famous missionary in the 60s, where he went to a, a tribe. This is in Africa. I forget exactly what in Asia, but he's telling them the story of the gospel and he's explaining, and they're very interactive. This tribe is very, you know, just like they'll, they'll make sounds and do like, like they're involved. And so he tells a story. And when he ends it, he's like, and so it's obvious who the hero is. He tells the story of the gospel and all that and Jesus. And so, and they're like, yes, Judas, they thought Judas was the the hero of the story. And so he's like, oh no, I got to retell the story. Like you totally missed it. But in their tribe, you were super valuable if you could deceive other people because that's how they got and conquered other tribes. So deception was like the, so we got to, yeah, you got to make sure you tell people about the gospel that you make sure you understand what did you just hear me say? That's really important. So he's like, no, he's not the, the center of the story. Uh, who became a uh, a traitor. Um, so what I want us to notice um, uh, about this is, and, and uh, Aiden, go ahead and put up the picture. Um, you know, just this imagery. And it's obviously not, a, we don't have pictures of them, but just this imagery of like, you know, these weren't esteemed. This was a wide variety group of people and how they looked. We're going to uh, talk through about as far as just This kind of just uh, ragtag team. And why does Jesus do that? Before we jump into that, though, I want you to notice something. You would think if you're the Son of God that you wouldn't need to necessarily pray all night about who to pick to be your 12. And if you didn't pray all night, it wasn't like that would be a sin, right? Kind of like, you know, you can figure it out. You're the Son of God. You're pretty smart, right? And you can kind of choose who you want. But I want you to notice something as far as when it comes to the disciples is that Jesus sought who God wanted, not maybe necessarily who he wanted. And that's really something uh, that we see as a pattern in Luke. And you see this in John, if you've read the book of John, but you'll notice these things where Jesus constantly says, hey, I just want to do what my father wants me to do. And he's kind of showing us that, that, that heart of a Christian, where it begins to change. And what's really hard shift for some of us is the problem with us is that we start off, I don't know if you know this, you do if you have kids, but you start off saying me, 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 right? Feed me, change my diapers, provide for me, put a roof over my head. Even from that, train me, love me, uh, be patient with me, forgive me. Like we have all these, it's me, 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 right? And that's a hard transition for some of us where all of a sudden it's like, hey, the goal of our life now is what do you want? a real hard shift for us, but it's really important because what it shows is that when you do that, God will really show you what's best, that his plans are better than what you can even imagine. And so Jesus says this in John chapter 6, 37 and 38, where he says, all those the Father uh, gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And so a couple of things as we see in this passage is, is, is one is that Jesus really consulted the father with even things that weren't necessarily like these major right or wrong, these major financial things that, that was one of the things that, Hey, before I figure out what I want, let me see if he wants to reveal what he wants. And that's kind of a good way to kind of model life even though it's not necessarily a right or wrong thing. Maybe it's a thing of what God desires over what I desire. And to kind of view life that way. The other thing that's interesting too, as we see here, and this is consistent in Scripture, is that God chose us before we ever choose Him. And that's really, really important. Because all of us get salvation through humility. And that sense of, I've done nothing to earn this. And Scripture shows over and over again, that the reason your faith is important is because God chose you. Not just that you chose him. There's a part of scripture that says, yeah, that has to be reciprocated. He was chasing you before you even thought about him. Even if you're a Christian, like I grew up a Christian. I came out of the womb, my parents just stamped a Jesus sticker right on me, right? It's just like, but here's the thing we see in the Bible is God can pursue you in the womb. Right, We talked about in, in Luke what happened with Elizabeth. Right, The baby was already turning and joyous and full of the Spirit. Now, some of us, it wasn't in the womb. God had to chase us from the womb and then continue to chase us for like 25 years as we were going out and doing other things, right? But this is what unites us all, no matter where you're at. Because some of us look around like, oh, they look super spiritual. Oh, oh I'm just a loser. Are they, are they? No, we're all united by this. Sinners saved by grace, and God chose you. And there's something powerful about that, that even if you don't deserve it, that God chose you. There's there's just something, I mean, have you ever been part of a a job or maybe a sports team where someone went and said, "I, I want you on my team? Have you guys ever experienced that? That's different than just applying for a job. I remember when I was playing soccer, and I was playing for this actually small Christian school, And I didn't think anything of it. And our team was horrible. I was a pretty good player on it, but it was a small Christian school. So you don't have to be that great to be good at a small Christian school. So, you know, it wasn't like I was this amazing athlete. And so, uh, but I was playing there. And I remember uh, my parents, um, they said, hey, a coach called and wants you to be a part of a travel team. And I remember, like, I don't have a lot of memories as a kid. You guys know my growing up was pretty chaotic. I just remember that sense of value and worth Someone noticed me? Like, I'll never forget that in my childhood. I want to encourage some of you today. Some of you might be on the precipice of throwing away your faith. I'm not seeing the fruit. I'm not seeing that. Go down. He chose you. Which means he'll get you through anything. He chose you. You didn't just choose him. There's a supernatural spiritual bond. And it started with God choosing you. I hope that gives you a sense of, like, pride. Not pride in yourself, but like, whoa, like, whoo, God chose me. Now, what's interesting about that is not just that he chose them, but who he chose. I want, I want to now uh, do a little bit of background so we understand when we read the rest of Luke, hopefully you're reading along with us, that you're seeing the backstory because it'll make sense why some of these interactions, why they happen. Now, the first few people that, that uh, Jesus chose... Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Bart. Okay, All of them are from the same region. Probably knew each other. Could have been related because most of the time back then, if you're in a small village, you're related probably to someone in that village. And so they grew up uh, around the Sea of Galilee. And so what's interesting is we see half his team, they were very near each other if they didn't know each other very well. So it's interesting how this team is even kind of split up. Now, the first few names that he chose, we're going to start with um, actually the first four guys, they did know each other Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, all four were fishermen in the same area. Peter and Andrew were brothers. In we see that in John 1, that Andrew and probably Peter were followers of John the Baptist. You guys remember when we read and John the Baptist says, oh, it's about him, not me. And some of the disciples went over. Well, now you know that some of these guys, Andrew was already a follower. It's suggested that Andrew is probably the older brother of Peter, which is, again, is a theme that you're going to see. Where traditionally it was always the older one that got chose for leadership positions. And got chose for, you know, like when it came to inheritance, if you're the older, you got it. Right? So that's where, if you're younger, you better learn to suck up because it's the older one that got it all. Well, Jesus flips it. You're going to notice the kingdom of God and how God does things is how the world does it, God does it the complete opposite. So if you're following the world, you're going to have a tough time following God. Well, that's the world's wisdom. You're going to have a tough time because it's the opposite of God's wisdom. And so he flips it, and so what we see is this pattern of where the younger ones actually got, wrote more scripture, did more things, kind of had more, and he did on purpose. And we see that from the Old Testament, right? Where the nation of Israel, who they wanted as king, they wanted the older one, the one with stature, the one with all the... And God's like, no, you're going to pick the youngest one here. And so we have these brothers here. They were following John the Baptist, but then John the Baptist pointed to Jesus uh, and what's interesting about this too is we see that Peter would be part of Jesus' inner circle—Peter, James, and John, kind of an inner circle. They got to experience and see more things. Andrew was not. And you got to remember these dynamics because sometimes the disciples, if you've noticed, they have these weird interactions. They kind of fight among themselves. But you got to remember the human part of you. As far as if you're the older brother, and I'll tell Jesus, like, "Hey, I'm gonna transfigure into something really crazy and cool. We're gonna see Old Testament characters, and I'm gonna choose you, 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 but not you." I'd be a little bit like, mm, right? It's like, well, Andrew wasn't a, a part of that. And I want to encourage you with this God didn't just choose you to save you. But the other thing too is God chooses you for positions in life, too. One of the things we've got to be careful when it comes to ministry is a lot of times we choose ministry based off someone's personality. Oh, they're really charismatic or they're super smart or things like that. And I don't, that's the way the world does it a resume. God doesn't look at a resume. He says, your resume is horrible, and I choose you to do ministry. we got to be careful of that, because we're very much deceived by our eyes. How someone looks, how they dress. The problem with that is, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, we're incredibly deceptive of people. I, have you noticed that? Not in this church, but other places, right? A simple thing like this. How are you doing? I'm fine, and everything could be falling apart, but I don't want you to know that. So my whole thing is, if you want to start doing ministry, seek God as far as, God, are you calling me to this? And that's important for some of us that we're overachievers, and some of us, rather than resting in God's salvation, we're still trying to earn it. And so we do more and more and more and more. And I think sometimes God's like, I never called you to that. Just rest. That's for someone else. In fact, when you do it, you take ministry from someone else. That wasn't even part of the sermon. That was a freebie. I don't know where I'm going. All right, let me to get back on my notes here. What the heck was I talking about? Okay, Peter and Andrew. That's a rhetorical question. Stop talking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> John, John right here. John's like, do you need me to preach? Come on, bro. Get it going. So we have these brothers, Peter and Andrew. Now we move on to James and, and, and John. Again, John was probably the youngest. And what's interesting is he would have more notoriety and have more, be more of a vocal piece for God. Again, you're seeing a pattern here. We look at the oldest and God says, I'm going to choose the youngest. He does things different than we do. Now, these guys, if you notice in scripture, they're a little, they're a little passionate, right? In fact, they're so passionate that um Jesus gives them the nickname called Sons of Thunder. That means they're a little spicy. You want to circle or underline your Bible, the 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 uh definition, the Greek definition a little spicy. These guys are spicy, and you'll notice that in scripture. Right? They would, they would, uh they're a little wild. Um, and so we see that in Mark 317. Um, and we know that they're a little spicy because Luke 954, and I'm gonna throw out a lot of passages, go on the video, look it over again. I'm I gotta get going. Luke 954, we see that uh this certain village. And when you read the Bible and you see towns and cities, you gotta remember this is not like us where it's like a hundred thousand people. This could be like thirty, a hundred. These are not big cities, but the disciples and Jesus in Luke nine, they're going and, um, this town doesn't welcome them. They're like, we don't want you. We don't want you around. And you know what, uh, what James and John say to Jesus, they're trying to be all spiritual. They're like, Hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them and just burn them up. And Jesus is like, Whoa, slow your roll, bro. right? Yeah. Slow down, dude. These guys were a little spicy. You don't welcome us. We'll call down fire on you and we'll kill you. So Jesus had like And I wonder if in Jesus' mind he's like, when he prayed to God the Father, he's like, I need way more than three years. Like I need like thirty. But God the Father's like, you got three years because these guys are calling down fire and they don't even know what they're talking about. Now, what's interesting about these four is they were all fishermen. We know that when you read uh, John chapter one. But what's interesting is Peter and Andrew probably came from a poor family because when Jesus called them in John one, they were actually fishing themselves. They're the ones out there doing. They're like small business no employees, hustling. So they probably didn't have as much money as James and John, who when Jesus called them, they left their father Zebedee. And what was interesting is they left and the servants stayed with him. If you had servants back then, you were loaded, just so you know. So what's interesting is you see who God, who Jesus is picking, who God wants him to pick. This this kind of just very uh, this variety in this team. You have poor, you have guys that are a little more well-off. Uh, what's interesting about um, also, um, James and John, you might not know this, but uh, their mom uh, traveled along with them. And so she was actually, when uh, Jesus died on the cross, their mom was actually, we see part of the story there. So their mom was also a disciple. So Jesus didn't just save them. And how cool for a mom to see her boys disciples and become leaders in the church. That would also be powerful where Jesus also said that before he died, he actually entrusted this family, his own mom, to this family, which I'm sure that their moms probably bonded, talking about their boys and all that kind of stuff. Now, again, mom, where did the boys get their spiciness from? Mom was a little spicy. Uh, This is the woman that you read about in John chapter... um, uh, Actually, no, it was Matthew 20. Matthew 20, 20 through 24. I don't know if you guys remember the story, but... Uh, where she would go to Jesus and be like, hey, can my boys, can they kind of like be at your right hand? Can they kind of like, you know, make the money and and have the esteem? And uh, and what's interesting is that the boys were part of it too, because Jesus was like, well, what do you guys think? They're like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, like, you know, you got mom, the doting mom, right? I'm sure there's no doting moms here, but you know, pick my kid, make him win the award, you know, get him and that's with this mom, good old Jewish woman, right? And so, uh, in fact, it caused consternation in the disciples' Who said right after that that the other disciples, the other ten, were like, you you know, and think about this. They already had money. So if you come from a lower economic, right, you look at that and go, you little, right? Now you see why the disciples, look what Jesus had to work with. And I'm sure when he talked to the father, he was like, are you sure these, like, these are the best 12 we have? Like, really, this is what we want to, Yeah. Because if these guys can change the world, when we read the gospel, we realize that God can use you. And here's the other thing he shows us. We always think that, man, a good church is where nothing is going wrong and it smells great and everyone's on fire for God. Is that what we see here? Uh uh. It's going to be messy. We're going to step on each other's toes, we're going to say things that are inappropriate. Welcome to being a Christian. In fact, a church that doesn't have that, I would say is ceasing to be a church. And they're a show because we're messy. But God works great things out of that mess. That's that's the story of the disciples. So that's the first four guys, right? Now, let's go down to Philip and Bart. We don't know a lot about them. We know that they're from the same town. Uh, John one forty four talks about that. Uh, and so... Um, so, Jesus calls Philip, uh, Bartholomew, just so you know, and John is called Nathaniel. So, you'll see different names between, I believe, three of the Gospels. So, don't get confused. It wasn't like, hey, there were more than 12. Who's this Nathaniel? They used names, they had surnames interchangeably. It's pretty normal back then. You know, people would be like, oh, they're contradicting themselves. The Bible's not contradicting itself. So, just so you know, when you read about Bart, he's Nathaniel in John. They're the same one. Now, You got those guys. They all kind of know each other. They're hanging out. You got the second six. Interesting bunch. You got Matthew. Well, Matthew was a tax collector. We don't know a lot about him. Let me ask you this. Do you think tax collectors were liked by the rest of the disciples? No. Oh, yeah, (laughs) right? Why would Jesus choose a tax collector? For the same reasons. Nobody is outside God's purview and grace and passion. Don't ever write anyone off. That Christian's such a hypocrite. That Christian's such. Be careful because God might be pursuing them and he's going to say, get out of my way. They are that, but I will give them a new name and a new purpose. That's what discipleship is. You guys, these are 12 people. They traveled together for three years. They bunked together. How awkward. That. When you've grown up and your parents have said, we hate them, they're traitors, because they collect taxes from us, and they usually put a little cut in for themselves, and they gave it to the Roman government, who they hated, you guys. You've got to remember, when the disciples were formed, for the previous 150 years, there had been multiple, several rebellions, people who were false prophets and false messiahs, but that we, we see that in, in history books. And you're collecting taxes and working for them, you're despicable. And Jesus, like, I I choose you. All right, guys, get along now. Are you seeing this group now? When you read Luke, like, it just, you see the tension in there. Now, after Matthew, we see the name Thomas. Now, his name uh, actually is Didymus uh, or Didymus, and it means twin, but we don't think the other twin was around, uh, at least that we know of, as far as within this inner circle. Now, he's known, he, Poor Thomas, he gets he's unfair. We call him Doubting Thomas because he's the one, remember, what Jesus, uh, the disciples, like, he's risen. He's like, unless I what? Unless I touch, right, see? And we're like, Doubting Thomas. And that's not fair at all. Again, when you read all the scriptures, you really see these guys' personality. Thomas was more of a, kind of a, not a cynical person, but he would question things. You had someone that was much different than the first six. A little more clinical, a little more intellectual. Again, all kinds of people. There's some people that are more emotional in church. Some people that are more kind of intellectual, more clinical. And we have to come together. And, and just so you know, like the first, the first six in the region they come from, we actually see from early historians, Josephus, and actually from the Jewish Talmud, which is basically a, a, it's, it's written down of all the oral laws, Both of those describe Galileans, the first six guys, Peter, James, John, Andrew. It describes them as passionate, adventurous people who are argumentative and curious. That's the Galileans. Now you bring in Thomas, who's a little more clinician, kind of in his way of thinking. And so it wasn't that he was necessarily doubting, but it was just like, no, no, no. I want a little bit more proof. But we see in John chapter 11, when Jesus talked about that I'm going to die, that he was the one that said, we're willing to die for you. So he wasn't doubting, all right? But he needed to see it to believe it. He was different than the other guys. And he also was very honest with Jesus and engaging with questions. In John 14, 5, Jesus talks about, I'm preparing rooms for you. I'm going to go somewhere. And he goes, but we don't know where you're going. And, And here's the thing you see the disciples, you guys. As you read Luke, notice how Jesus interacts with the disciples. Notice how the disciples interact with Jesus. Jesus had no problems with them asking questions. Jesus has no problems with you asking questions. And so we see this, that, that kind of how God disciples and how he, uh, which is great for us as far as if we're discipling people in our church. If you're raising kids, that's called discipleship, by the way. You're raising your kids, right? Don't just tell your kids stuff. Let them ask questions. And if you don't know the answer, don't make it up. Don't shut them. You don't know the answer. Go find out the answer or go do it together. But you're going to see different personalities and how we disciple are really important. Now, after Thomas, we have James of Alphaeus. Um, his mom also was a follower. So we've got a lot of moms that are kind of just making sure their boys are okay. And they start following Jesus, uh, which makes sense just, you know, too. How did Jesus get funded for three years? Hey, some of these families were wealthy, and that's how they got funded. And so um, his name actually means James the Less or James the Younger. We don't know which one. So hopefully it's the Younger, James the Less would be horrible. But um, uh, we don't know much about him. That's about it. A lot of these guys we don't know a lot about. Then we had Simon the Zealot. And just so you know, Simon the Zealots were a group that believed in religious freedom by overthrowing the government. They're called strong nationalists. We have those today, right? Christianity can only survive if we overthrow our government and get back to the Constitution, democracy, and all that kind of stuff. And here's the thing, I'm down with voting. I have opinions. You want to have lunch? We can have a great debate about politics. But we got to be careful as a church where we're not just aware of politics, but we convolute it with Christianity and think that the way to save people is for us to have this person in government. I don't know if you notice this, but men and women tend to mess up any kind of structure we put in with power. Give me a king, mess it up. Give me a queen, they mess it up. Let's go democracy, mess it up. People don't do well with power. Only God does well with power. And so he is our focus and our passion. Be aware, vote intelligently, vote within your beliefs, but don't think that's what's going to save people. And that's why we don't talk a lot about politics. Keep it on Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. He is the answer. And some of us need to bring down, we've lost the heart of God and we're trying to get the heart of America. Those are two different hearts. So Simon had to be changed. He just had to change him for a zealot to overthrow a government to a zealot for God and the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. But here's the crazy thing. Look at who God paired together. Matthew, a tax collector, and someone who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Here's what I want to encourage you with this, too. As this is where there's so much vibrancy in the story. Some of us, when we come into relationships with people that rub us the wrong way, we think God's always the answer is get away from them. Sometimes that might be true. Proverbs talks about over and over, be careful about hanging around someone who has an anger issue. They cannot control their anger. Be careful about getting close to them. They're dangerous with their words and then with their actions. But we also see that at times God will bring people in our life and they kind of uh iron sharpens iron, right? And that friction needs to take place. And if those of us we build our lives trying to be frictionless, we will, will always be a dull knife, never be a sharp knife. I'm not calling you dull. Settle down. But you know what I mean, right? And some of us are ineffective with and think about the knife. The Bible talks about this and when Paul writes to Timothy, saying, Be a scalpel in God's hands that he can intelligently use, not to stab and to wound, but to heal. But if you're a dull knife, God can't use you. How does he sharpen you? By sometimes bringing people that they rub you the wrong way. In connection groups, those home groups, they're awesome. I love it. But sometimes we friction, right? Someone says something, I'm like, I don't like the way they said that. Someone says something, oh, theologically, oh, they're going to hell, right? You know, just like, you can't believe it, right? We, Hey, but that's, don't run away from it. Allow God to use that. And actually there can be an incredible bond by people who have opposing views and opposing way of doing things. And they come together in Christ. Christ bonds all people. And so we see that within the disciples. We have Judas, uh, son of James. Just, you know, he's also called Thaddeus. So another guy with a different name. Uh, He wrote the book of Jude. We don't know a lot about him. And then we come to the ever popular Judas Iscariot, right? What we learn about Judas Iscariot is uh, we don't know a lot of background about him, but here's what's interesting. What Judas shows us is that you can give your life to Jesus, but never your heart and soul. You could go to church for 20 years and never be a Christian. You could study Greek and Hebrew. You could know about God better than me. But you're not a Christian. Judas is a great warning for us. And when you look at the Bible, just so you know, when Jesus yelled at people, it wasn't people that were disconnected. It was people that supposedly thought they were super connected. I don't know if you noticed, but he's really gracious with people that they're not followers. And they know they're like, hey, I'm I'm not following you. He was really gracious, very loving. And people thought, like, yeah, I got my stuff together. He was pretty harsh. And the reason is because hypocrisy, hypocrisy is something that we tend to wander into, we don't run to. And what we got to be careful of is because we have time with God, we think we then have a heart for God. And Judas showed us, be careful of that. Be careful that you think, okay, I'm pretty moral. Right? I only do a little, I do the things that aren't really bad. And I always love our standard of what we use, right? I, don't, I didn't murder anyone this week. Like that's our standard, right? I'm a pretty good person. Um, he hung around Jesus, but he never gave his heart to Jesus. And we see this as far as that not only did he betray Jesus, and here's the thing, he was betraying Jesus already in secret. And when we betray Jesus in secret, it will always get exposed because we see that uh, in John chapter 12, that he was regularly stealing money on the down low from Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. I wonder if the disciples are like, why don't you do something about that? Have you ever seen that? Someone doing something? Why don't don't, don't just do something about that? They're They're getting away with it. I want to encourage you with this. The consequences of secret sin will always play itself out. God doesn't need to do anything right then. The consequences of it will always catch up. And I think what the disciples saw is don't do anything in secret. Never worth it. Because the culmination of his heart got so hard because when you do things in secret, your heart just gets a little hardened. And then you'll start doing things you never could imagine. I don't think Judas, honestly, I don't think Judas could ever imagine that he would have sold out Jesus. I don't think so. But when your heart gets hard and you begin to do things that you never could imagine a year ago, and so Judas is an is a interesting warning for us, but he was, again, he was picked by God. So here's why I want to wrap up. If, you, if you're a note taker, you're like, bro, I'm not writing any notes right now. All right, here's three things I want to give you, okay? Three things. Being a disciple of Jesus. What does this really look like when Jesus chose the disciples? Because I just want to encourage you this. When I talk about what's the most important thing in church, it's this. The primary purpose of a church is to disciple People to become like Jesus and to live for Jesus. That's really important. One of the things that we'll talk about in our rally groups, and we always talk about, it, you know, because we're a small church, so it's always like, oh, I want to grow. We want to reach people and all that, and I, I'm down with that. I want to reach people. I want them to have hope. But here's the thing: I want to encourage our church with. We got to make sure that God reaches us before we try to reach others. The, my primary job is not to grow the church. In fact, there's no mandate in Scripture that says a pastor is supposed to grow a church. In fact, you see in the Bible that when leaders get hooked on numbers, God actually judges them. Remember when David took a census of Israel? Because then David took pride in his numbers rather than being like, no, no, I grew Israel. You didn't do crap. What's the focus, the main thing that I'm supposed to be doing? Make sure each one of you become more and more, a little bit more like Jesus. And that's why I don't want to fail. I'd rather be Jesus. I'd rather him say, like, bro, you missed out on a few opportunities rather than being like, hey, I don't know what you were doing, but that wasn't a church I was proud of. That's our main focus, just so you know. That's why we meet in connection groups. It's not just because for the heck of it. We're trying to disciple. So when you miss out on those things that the church does, my question to you is how are you discipling yourself? Or is the goal just to kind of go to church and kind of be moral? Those are two different things. So we see, being a disciple of Jesus, what does that look like? What does it look like for these guys? What did Jesus try to accomplish? What is our church trying to accomplish? It's this, three things. One is Jesus becomes the center of our life, not an addition to our lives. Notice the disciples gave up what to follow Jesus? Everything. Their income. If you're not fishing too, you're not eating. Think about that. And they said, okay, we trust you for daily food now. And Jesus is like, oh, you're going to trust me for much more than that because my bread is not of this earth. It's actually of heaven, right? Now, I'm not saying right now you're like, some of you are like, oh, please don't tell me to quit my job and go on the mission. You're so like, please don't, don't let the sermon go there. Like, don't, don't tell me to give everything up. It's not necessarily where you got to give it up and quit your job, but it's this. Don't segment Jesus to, well, he's Sunday, and then if I can squeeze him in the rest of the week, Jesus isn't a piece in your life. He is a part of all your life. He's like a hub where all the spokes of your life go into. He's not a piece of the pie. Well, Jesus is a bigger piece of the pie. He doesn't want to be a piece. He wants to be the hub, which means the way you date, the way you do marriage, the way you raise your kids, the way you do your money, the way you do vacation, the way you are generous, the way you view sin, the way you view politics. Everything is through the hub of Jesus. He's the center of it all. Does that make sense? If Jesus isn't the center, then we're not becoming disciples. We're becoming religious. Religious people make Jesus a piece, and then they clock out and they go do their thing. We never clock out. He's a part of everything that we do. The second thing is this. Being a disciple is a marathon commitment, not a one-time decision. Being a disciple is not in kindergarten you saying a prayer. It is you in kindergarten saying a prayer and then saying a prayer and repenting for the next 50 years over and over and over again. Being a Christian is a marathon commitment. And what marathon commitment takes is patience. I don't know, have any of you run longer than like six miles for some reason? Like maybe you're being chased by a lion, I don't know. Some of you do it for fun, right? Like you guys aren't even proud of it. They're like, I don't want to raise my hand. You know, it's just, I'm going to be judged, right? Right. But it's one of those things of that whoever starts off the fastest doesn't win the race. I don't know if you notice that. In fact, many times those who start off the fastest, they're not there at the end. I want to encourage you with this. The goal of our lives is to end well. Don't worry about the beginning and the middle. But end well. Be there for the finish. And what that is, is that small, incremental. A lot of times we're, we're hoping to do these big God moments. And I want you to know that following God a lot of times is monotonous i'm not gonna say boring that sounds sacrilegious but it's it's not this exciting thing but that's where the work is done where you really build over time repentance decision-making repentance over and over and over and over again not one time what we got to be careful is i want to encourage some of us as long-time christians be careful that some of your best years were jesus were 10 to 20 years ago that's dangerous your best years should be ahead We should be getting better. If you're in your 60s, show 40-year-olds how to live. If you're in your 40s, show the 30-year-olds how to live. If you're in your 30s, show those 20-year-olds how to live. That's what I love about our church. For a small church, we're freakishly multi-generational. It's not normal. Young people, watch the older people. Older people, know you're being watched. So don't get crusty old Christianity because then in the 20s, you be like, why would I want to turn into that? And those of you that are younger, The little kids and the teenagers, they're watching you too. So don't just think, I could do whatever I want. I can date however I want. Nobody cares. They're watching. You can either inspire someone to Jesus or be like, oh, it's a bunch of baloney. Because that's what they're doing. Last one is this. Being a disciple of Jesus results in participation with him, not information about him. The smartest person doesn't win. The one who trusts the most wins. I have met brilliant Christians that are much smarter than me. Their theology is much better. I understand this cracks. I understand I say things. I'm like, oh, that was a little off. Gotcha. But it's not the smartest person who wins. It's the one who trusts Jesus who wins. Some of you are like, oh, I don't understand. I want to read the Bible. I don't, I don't. don't get hooked up on that. I don't want to show up to group because my opinion might be. No, 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 no. Trust Jesus with the information he's giving you. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't seek information. We don't seek to know about Jesus. But that's not the win. I'm always surprised if I were to ask someone, hey, did you have a good week in, you know, with, with God this week? What do most people say when they consider a good week or not? You know book that I hear the answer is? Oh, I didn't read my Bible that much. Or I did read my Bible that much. I don't care how much you read your Bible this week. In fact, I don't think Jesus does. If, did you obey me this week? Did you trust me this week? Think about your life you evaluate it on how much you know about God or how much you're trusting God? I want you to know this. Discipleship, the result of discipleship is I'm trusting God every day and every week and more and more. And the more I get to know him, the more I trust him, not the more I want to study about him. It's an interesting passage, but it's one now that kind of shows us throughout the book of Luke now why we have these weird interactions, the personalities. But most of all, it shows us, look at this hodgepodge of people that God chose. And remember, He chose them before they chose Him. And God chooses you before you chose Him. He brought you onto the team. I hope you have that. With, there's a pride there. There's a sense of also um, responsibility. It's not just about you. There's a sense of responsibility. He chose me. Let me play my position let me know as much as I can. Let me trust as much as I can. Because this is not random how this happened. He chose me. Pat's going to come up, and this worship hopefully just fills our heart with appreciation to God, but also a sense of responsibility of like evaluating where am I at? Am I a disciple of Jesus? Is Jesus the center? Or do I make him an addition? And I would encourage you with this. Maybe today's going to be about repentance for some of us. Or like, you know what? I need to realign things. I need to make them the center. Are you in it for the marathon? Or are you just living off a one-time decision years ago? Or are you continuing to make decisions day in, day out to recommit, repent, re-engage with him? And then also, are you participating with Jesus or are you just watching others? Are you participating? Are you in the game? Are you like, no, I'm more of a cheerleader. I want to encourage you this. God's not looking to recruit cheerleaders. He's looking to recruit team members to participate with him in this life. We have communion at the front, in the back. You might want to take communion by yourself or maybe with family or friends. Maybe God's going to lay on your heart to look at someone and say, hey, you want to take communion with me? A great time just to remember that he chose you. He died for you, but also he has a purpose for you. He wants to change you. And not to make you a better person, but to make you completely new. That's why he gave the disciples new names. You're a new person with a new purpose. So Jesus, we come before you now. And Jesus, I pray for our church that we would really exemplify you and we'd embrace discipleship. It's not popular. It's messy. It's hard. It's frustrating. It's humbling. But God, I pray we'd be a blue-collar church that does the hard work. And we don't accept becoming a religious institution. But we'd be a Holy Spirit movement. God, I pray always that the strength of our church would never be in the programs or the building or the lights or our money or anything like that. The strength of our church would be a bunch of people who are being formed and shaped to look like you. So God, today some of us repent. We're not allowing ourselves to be disciples. We're just watching and we need to participate. I pray today we repent and get involved. Some of us today, God is just encouraging saying, keep going, keep going. I'm changing you, I'm with you. Do not give up. We worship you, we love you, and thank you for choosing us because we did not deserve it. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, Please go to go to accesschurch.com.